Let's open in prayer before we look into the Word of God this evening. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed not by human efforts, but by the blood of the Lamb. Father, when we think of the doctrine of salvation and what you've done for us and sanctification being set apart to Christ daily in our lives, God, may we truly be so joyful and so excited over our identity in Christ that it shows up in our actions and our activity. I pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. What are some sins that Christians struggle with? You know, when we think of different sins, perhaps sins like anger, uh, maybe jealousy, uh, perhaps pornography, um, gossip, idols, lack of forgiveness, all of these would be probably sins that come to mind. So if someone were to come to you and say, I'm really struggling in this area, and they were to mention one of those sins, how would you counsel them? How would you help them get out of this sin that they're found in? Um, what would be your approach in, in directing them? And you know they're a Christian, a professed Christian that's put their faith and trust in Christ. Maybe a, a different question, but related. What divine principle makes transformed living possible? What divine principle, what God's done in our lives makes divine, makes transformed living, a life that's changed? How, how does it make, make it possible? I can live for God because of this fact. One of my favorite books that um, I've read, I read it um, maybe 20 years ago, then reread it. I lost, actually lost the title, wrote different people that I thought were the author, and they got, came back to me and said, no, no, we didn't write that. Eventually, I found it again as I was flipping through my journal. Um, two volumes, in the Crimson Tapestry and Shadow of Eden, written by Jazz Michael Jones. It follows the adventures of a, of a young man in 5th century Britain. Um, his nickname is Worm. He doesn't know his real name. Um, is warm, and he lives in this village. And he showed up in this village like five or six-year-old young man. And he has no parents, and he survives by stealing things in this village. And he's hated by the people, but they just kind of endure him. Um, the, this one time when he's, by the way, I should say that just fear just dominates in 5th century England because of the Saxons and they're concerned about invasion. So it's not a very pleasant time to be living in England. Well, this one particular day, Worm is out and he steals, he's a teenager now, and he steals some food. And the villagers scream, I guess he stole more than he should have, and they're pursuing him and the soldiers, the Saxon soldiers start chasing him. And he's running quickly through the village, gets to the end of the woods and he's wounded, but he makes it into the woods and is escaping. But he meets somebody there that would eventually change his life. He meets a young boy named Terrell, which is just about his age. And as weird as it sounds, Terrell has a pet bear, big black bear. And they actually rescue this boy, Aranek, and he's, his name is really Aranek. And he's wounded, and they put him on the bear, and they're able to escape back, and they travel north for a few days up until Terrell's village um, where, he, where he lives and a great host of Britons live up there. And as the boy's on the father's, on the parent's table because he's wounded, wounded pretty seriously and the mom's trying to tend to his wound, the father looks at him and he sees around his neck a medallion and he sees the Greek letters Rho and Chi and in the middle there is a bear's head and on top of it is a laurel wreath. And the father, with a bit of excitement, looks real close at that because he recognizes that insignia. And he quickly runs to his war chest, and he opens it up, and he pulls out a massive sword. And it has that insignia on the sword. And he starts to talk about the sword and this insignia. He said, this insignia was given to me years ago by a metalsmith. And he, about 13, 14 years ago, and that metalsmith had a boy that would be about this kid's age right now. And he starts to pepper this boy with questions, and as the story unfolds, I should say the metalsmith was, became a great leader um, of the Britons at the Battle of Glenrith. He was a warrior, soldier, leader, and he brought a tremendous host of people that they defeated the Saxons at this changing of the tide battle. In fact, his name was sung over all of the halls in northern England because of his great legendary skill with the sword and who he was. And as things start to unpack, 
Terrell's father is more and more convinced that this boy that they're calling Worm is actually the little lad of the metalsmith. And as they spend days and weeks and he's peppering his memory, things start to come back that he had long forgot who he was. And as he starts to recall these facts, he's given the sword and stunningly, he had to use a sword, but he proves to be pretty adept at the sword and not so bad in the bow and arrow. And as he's putting things and pieces together, flashes start coming to him, and he starts to understand who his true identity truly is. And he starts to become that person that his dad was, this great leader and warrior and skillful. And as the story carries out over two books, it goes down some year later, and he's in another village, and he hears of the Saxons planning this massive invasion traveling north. He's able to make his way back, but he leads the Britons in a tremendous battle and takes up in his father's footsteps. But identifying or becoming who he truly was, he lives out his entity and becomes victorious over the, over, um, over the enemy. And I thought I'd think of that story when I look at our subject matter tonight of who are we in Christ. When we look at the question is, who am I? What is my identity? I want us to answer that question, but I want us to look at who we are in Christ. And if we were to have a main idea that we're after, who I am in Christ is to lead to how I live for Christ. For us to just get down, who am I in Christ? What is my identity in Christ? And who am I and what has God done? and then how that should challenge us in our living. We're going to look in a moment at 2 Corinthians 5, just for like maybe two minutes. We're going to spend all of our time in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Um, but first I want to just look at a survey question, some questions that we sent out. And um, we're going to answer some of those questions. And some of them, um, I think it's typical of where many, many Christians are in our thinking. The first question that we put out there, do the, does a Christian have an old nature and a new nature? 69.2% said yes, Christians have an old nature, and the rest said no. Um, so really what I'm after in that question, are we, in as we live the Christian life, do we have an old nature? Nature is something that defines us, and do we have a new nature? You're going to see actually that this answer kind of disagrees with what a lot of people said in, in question two. Can the child of God live a, a dominated life by sin? Most people answer that no, it's not possible. Um, 94% said no. Um, and we would say absolutely right on. You can't live a life dominated by sin. The third question, is the nature of the Christian fundamentally different than the nature of an unbeliever? And 94% or whatever it is said, yes, it is. But the first question was, does a Christian have an old nature, new nature? But here we're asking the question, but is our nature different? Uh, I'm not sure the two, you can't say yes in both of them. Um, and we want to show that, um, and part of our point is tonight, understanding our identity, that a Christian does not have an old nature, uh, as nature is defined. And we'll, we'll look at that um, at a couple passages. The fourth question that we broke down, or put out there, what does a Christian, what does the old man mean in Romans chapter 6? I mean, what is old man when he says the old man's crucified? Um, what, what does old man mean? And I, over the years, I have found a lot of uh, may I say, confusion as to what is the meaning of the old man? The carnal nature and all its affections and lust, who I used to be in Adam, or both? And the majority answered both in 78.8, um, but I hope to show that it's not both. Um, it can't be both, and I think we'll all get that hopefully shortly. Then how can a child of God live victoriously for God? Um, amen. All of the above. Through the word of God, through prayer, through obedience. Um, fleshing out our position of, of who we are. Turn with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians 5.17 before we look at a Got Questions three-minute clip. And then we'll turn to, to Romans chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a verse that probably mo most of us can quote. Um, verse 17, therefore, if anyone in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in the context, verses 14 and 15, Paul is just pumped over what God's done for him. He says, the love of Christ co just constrains me, compels me, moves me. Um, out of gratitude, he just wants to live a life for God. Then he gets down into verse 17 here. And he says, if anyone, 
He's talking of the individual believer. That's a topic in verse 17. The individual believer. He speaks of the individual believer as a new creation. So he says if anyone, anyone is, is, is an indefinite pronoun, but the moment it becomes attached to the subject Christ, it's no longer indefinite. So now he's specifically talking of someone. So if anyone is in Christ, and he's speaking of the individual, not of the corporate body. So he's not talking of the whole body, but he says, if any one specific individual is in Christ, he is a new creation. Um, creation is the act of, of changing something, the act of, of something new is created. So what's, what's changed at creation? Um, how many of you, when you accepted Christ, got better hearing? Um, or you got better eyesight? Um, or maybe you were able to run faster? Or maybe you were able to kick a ball better? Uh, none of those things. Our body isn't changed. So what's a new creation? Uh, what, what, what work did God do? So it has to be on the immaterial. It has to be on the soul. So if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God created a new soul when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Um, A.K.A., may I say, the new man in Romans 6 and the other passages. So the thrust is that God's doing a creative act on the one who is in Christ. It's not, it's not a surface change. It's not a change um, on the external, but it's a change in the inner man. So when we start to look at this thing of identity, it's truly a change in the inner person. The nature of the Christian, please hear me on this, the nature of the Christian is fundamentally different from that of an unsaved, unregenerate person. It's absolutely different. The unsaved, unregenerate person has the old man, and we all had that, but the new man is completely different from that. Um, and I hope to defend, it's not an addition, it's not a change of parts, it's not um, a change of attributes, it's not where God now is adding something to us, aka new nature, to we already have the old, old nature, the old man, it's not addition, it's, 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 it's more like subtraction <laughs> um, with addition. Um, so man has, has been changed from being a spiritually dead, the man, I, I'm using that meaning the child of God. The child of God, when they put their faith and trust in God, has been changed from being spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually alienated, to, to a person who inwardly is now essentially changed from being dead, unable to do anything but sin, right? Anything but, but in rebellion, anything but in opposition to God. Now they're changed with an essential holiness, um, our position is, is we're viewed as a saint to the saints at Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit to really live a life that's pleasing to God. Well, let's look at this YouTube for a moment. Then we'll get back and get into Romans chapter 6. What they did in three minutes, I will do in 35 minutes. <laughs> Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 6. I want us to look at the doctrine of the old man and the new man. Well, doesn't that just sound exciting? Like, what are you going to do tonight? We're going to study the doctrine of the old man and new man. But I assure you um, that I think this is one of the most exciting aspects of doctrine to look at. Um, I have been excited about this over the years and need to keep reminding of who I am in Christ because I think there's a specialness to, to the truth of the old man and new man. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be looking at tonight, but this same... Um, subject is covered in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24, and also in Colossians 3, verses 9 to 11. But we'll spend most of our time here in Romans chapter 6 and even in one verse. But in the context of Romans 6, chapters 3 to 5 that you're familiar with, Paul is dealing with the subject of sin, that the believer no longer has to serve sin. And those beautiful verses in chapter 3, 20 to 26, talking about our justification. This is what declares us righteous. This is who we are. And then steps into chapter 5 in that famous passage, 12, verses 12 to 21, um, Adam and Christ, that we all sinned in Adam, that we're sinners in him, and the whole human race fell, and sin was reigning through, through the human race. But then Christ came, and it all changed, and we see who Christ is and what he has done in verse 21, replacing sinfulness with righteousness, that grace can reign through, through our lives. 
We step now into chapter 6, and Paul asks a, a key hypothetical question, a question that, that we're familiar with, but nonetheless a question we should look at again. He says in verse 1, in Romans chapter 6, it would help if I were there, um, what shall we say then? Are we, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's asking, shall, shall believers actively live in, in, in a sin-dominated life? Should we continue to sin in order that, that grace would abound? Um, the word continue is, is really intensive. It's a present subjunctive, but he's, he's, he's making intense. To, is it something we should continue in? I remember my professor in seminary um, translating this with the words, horrors, no, you know, or God forbid. It's not something that we should do. Shall we re remain? Shall we persist? And really, Paul is saying, ready, it's categorically impossible for the true child of God to remain, to continue in this kind of a sin. And he's showing in verses 2 and 3, hitting, building up to verse 6 here, our identity, stating that the believer has died to sin. Um, next, next Sunday morning is going to be awesome as we have four baptisms, and we'll get to hear three people's testimony. Uh, but baptism is a picture of a spiritual reality. It's a physical external and it's picturing that once when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we died to the penalty of sin, and we want to die to the power of sin in our lives. But Paul's using that, that picture here, stating the person who has truly died to sin, ready, cannot continue to live in sin. I didn't say continue to sin. I'm saying to live in it, to make it their habitat. Both the spiritual as well as the physical realms Death and life are incompatible, right? I mean, when a person dies, when my, when my precious grandfather died and my grandmom in 1977 was saying, get up, Frank, get up. Well, he didn't come back to life because he was dead. At that point, dead and, death and life aren't, aren't going to join hands together. And the same spiritually speaking. It's what Paul is saying. If a person's dead spiritually, then that's, that's done with. They're now alive spiritually. They're not going to join hands together. The idea that a Christian can continue to live habitually in sin is not only unbiblical, but it really is irrational. And when, when you, over the years, have met people, they've made a profession of faith, but you're, you're questioning their salvation, hopefully we're not, we're not being judgmental. As we have a heart for people, we, we want to know whether they're still on the mission, that we need to reach them on the mission field, so to speak. It's, it's we're, under, we're, we're looking at their lives. There ought to be just a changed life. We're, we ought not be comfortable hanging out doing the same thing. And that's really what he's teaching here. It's not really that the Christian should continue to live in the realm of dimension of sin. And not, you better stop doing it. No, no they cannot. It's really what he's saying. It's just not possible to continue to live in that realm if you truly made a profession of faith. Again, it's not that a Christian should not continue. A Christian cannot continue. And that's what he's driving home in this, in this section. So I believe Paul is clearly stating that the child of God, the one that's truly come to know Christ as your Savior, having died with Christ, is no longer to have a life of servitude to sin. They're not going to be in bondage if they have the new nature. If the old man's done, it's not going to happen. And I want us to look at now in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. So we look at this tremendous verse, and the whole chapter is so awesome, and it's much to my regret that we're not able to camp in and really take a couple hours and compare the Ephesians and Colossians passage, that we'll take a minute in each one. But he says in verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him, and that the order of body of sin might be brought to, to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So I want us to, to see that the purpose... Um, in the Christian life, uh, what, Paul, what Paul's um, delineating here is that two things are to be understood that he's looking at our life. Number one is that the old man has been crucified, and he drives that point home. We can't live a life dominated by sin because the old man has been killed, crucified. And then because of that reality, there are two purposes that come off of that. There's a purpose clause we'll look at, and that is that the body of sin might be rendered inoperative, okay? The old man's killed, so this would happen in our life. Body of sin is rendered inoperative, that we would not become slaves to it, we would not be in bondage to it, we would not have to keep a bang it, and then secondly, that we wouldn't be a slave to it. 
All right, but let's look at the first one. The old man was crucified. What is, what is he talking about here? He says in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified. We know. Some of your Bibles may say knowing that. You know, there are just some things you should know in life, right? This, this is really what he's saying. You, you should know this as a child of God. You should understand this truth is what he's saying. Um, there are just some things that are common sense, right? I mean, like think of the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Here she's going through the woods. First of all, why are you traveling through the woods by yourself so far, young lady? I mean, you ought to just have an escort, but nonetheless, okay, it's the way the story's written. She gets and she starts talking to this stranger. I mean, how many of you teach your kids not to talk to strangers? Apparently her mom and dad failed, okay? She's talking to this stranger, and the things turn to be a nightmare for them because she talks to a stranger who's a wolf with a nasty nose, apparently. Depending on what story you read, the story I read ate the grandmom. But the story my wife read, you know, the grandmom's still alive, gets a woodman, a woodman comes and destroys the wolf. But nonetheless, there's a lot of problems, right? Because it wasn't too, too intelligent. Or you think of other story, the three little pigs. Here are these, little, these, these pigs. I mean, how many of you would, would build, how many of you would like to have a, a house of sticks and mud versus a house of brick? Any of you? All right, Ethan, um, you're, you're ready to go camping with your dad. <laughs> All right, but, you know, it's just not real smart. You think it's a little bit safer. So these guys, I guess, just didn't want to take too long, quickly build this house and stick, and there's a lot of problems. Again, the story I read, you know, it's really the gruesome. The pigs were eaten. The story my wife read, um, they survived and ran to the brother's house. But nonetheless, there's problems because they didn't build the house right. Or how about that guy? I mean, what was he thinking? Sit on the wall. You're a nut to get up there on the wall. You're a fragile person. But sure enough, Humpty's up there, and he fell. And he was broken up. I mean, he just literally, I mean, they just should have known. But here's Paul and that kind of mentality. He said, knowing this, it's, it's a present participle. He said, we should know this. This is something that should, just, that should be familiar to us. And he's really saying, every Christian should get this. So if, if I may be so humble to say, when we take the survey again, we ought to nail it 100% and what he's, what he's building the case on. This is what every, every Christian should know, knowing this. He's saying, know who you are. You are no longer the worm. You are no longer some scoundrel scrounging for, scrounging for, for food. You are the son of the great metalsmith. You're this incredible leader warrior in your family background. You are this person. Um, and that's really what, what he's trying to state here. You, you're not some chump carrying around an old nature, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, he talks about here, for we know this, that our old self was crucified. Um, let me put the word crucified off to the side for a moment and just talk about who is the old man? Um, who, is, who, who, who is this old man? Um, the same words, by the way, are used in Ephesians 4, the same Greek words in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. So it's talked about three times in the New Testament, okay, who the old man is. Um, who is. Who is this individual? Many Christians spend their lives trying to kill the old man. Oh, I got to get victory over the old man. Lord, please help me have victory over this. God, help me, help me understand what you've done. Or God, help me just to conquer it. Um, because many Christians think they still have the old nature. Okay? Um, how do we know, one of the survey questions, how do we know that the old man is not the affections of the flesh, is not the lust, is not sinful actions? How do we know that that is not what it is? What do you think? Any of you, any of you have a problem this past week with the, the uh, affections of the lust and, and sin and lust? Uh, you know, maybe when we'll say the word lust. Um, but sinfulness, right? We, we all have. Well, that's not, so, so how can it be crucified if, if, I'm still having a problem with it. So Paul's not talking about that. He's not stating that the old man is, is these things. It's not our fleshly, um, fleshly lust. It's not our affections. It's not our, our, our sinful carnal nature tendencies. That's not what he's talking about. And we know that because we still struggle with those things. Right? Everybody with me? 
All right, because we're going to look at the word crucified in a moment, which means to, dis- to kill, to annihilate, to get rid of, all right? So here Paul is, is looking at our identification in this context. May I say that the old man has to be tied into the context in verse 4 when he says the old man is the person who became united with Christ in his death. That old man was killed. We died with Christ. Just like Christ died, and, and that was a one-time thing, permanent, no longer dead, not going to die again. So our old self, our old nature died with Christ. And that's what he's establishing here. And he's about to drive that point home forcefully to get our identity and to then when he talks about the body of sin, how we get a victory over the body of sin, a.k.a. flesh. All right, but he's trying to get us to understand this is who we are in Christ. This is, this is our identity. So the old man, what is the old man? It's not the affections, it's not my wrong choices, it's not my, my uh, what, whatever I might do. The old man is who I used to be in Adam. The old man is, is, is who I was connected to in him, whereas I am now, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new man in Christ. My old man used to be of my human nature, such as I had by the sin of Adam. When Adam sinned, I fell in Adam. I, incur- I, I gained his, his old nature. It's my, the old man is my past corrupted nature. It's my ego in the falling state. It's a man that I was under the law. It was a man that I was born in sin, born under condemnation. The man that sinned in Adam, I became spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually separate, spiritually lost, an enemy of God. All of this is what's being stated in my old nature. Okay, in Christ, it's my old humanity. Um, it's my unconverted self. So, so Paul's driving home this point. It's one's past sinful corrupt nature is the unregenerate self. Um, it's a whole person viewed as a depraved soul. Paul says, my old man, my old nature, if you please, was this depraved soul inhabited a corrupt body really speaking essentially of the evil that we had in Adam, dead spiritually, not an ounce of goodness in us. We're not going to look at it, but Ephesians 4, 17 and 19 um, talks extensively of the practices of the Gentile, and he's talking about their evil practices, and that they're in the old man. So that's the practices, that's the way we live prior to, to, to knowing Christ. We look at the next one. Paul says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified. Crucified. Um, when we look at the word crucified, the tense and the mood in the Greek is speaking of a past time, past action. Um, it's in the passive voice. Um, if I were to um, have something done to me that I could do nothing about it, I'm passive. I'm receiving the action. I'm not part of the action. So he's speaking here and he says, the old man, something was done to the old man. It's not anything of my doing. It's something that happened in the past. It's completed. It's past. It's not something that needs to go on any longer because it is, ready, dead, crucified. Um, Think of crucifixions and pictures that we get. When a person's being crucified, you know, you're not going to, I don't mean to be weird, but see somebody come up with a tray and say, sir, would you like some hors d'oeuvres? Would you like some meat? And then he gets down and he's able to continue. No, he, he's at the end of his life. It's a grueling, agonizing, painful life. He's being killed and will be killed. Crucifixion is, is termination of life. It's something that, that's, that's being killed. It's something that died. So Paul, in speaking of crucifixion, it's not an ongoing process. It's not something that's going to keep happening. It's a one-time act, and it happened at salvation. So Paul is driving home the point that our old Adamic human nature died with Christ. Who we were in that corrupt, dead man died with Christ. Um, Look forward to testimonies next week in the baptismal tank of people just giving testimony. This is who I was. I'm now a new man in Christ. No longer that old nature is not clinging to them. It's something that was, that was crucified. The old, old man is no longer present in the child of God. When we look at um, the rest of the chapter, which, which we won't, but he's really said, he's really challenging them. Now live like he's gone. 
You're now no longer a slave to, to, to unrighteousness to evil. Live like a slave. You're enslaved to God. Live this way because of this present reality. So really what he's, what he's banking on and building up on, get your identity down, and that, that identity should lead to certain activity. That's really what pastors emphasized this, this, this morning and last week. Our identity ought to lead to change life, to mission, to a certain activity. So he wants them to understand this is who you are in Christ. And I, I, I remember, I'm getting ahead. Um, I was going to talk about the body of sin, but let's hold off a moment. Let me jump for just a quick moment to two passages. Colossians 3 verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed um, in knowledge after the image of Christ. Um, Paul, Paul uses language to Colossians of, of something putting on and then something putting off. You put on, okay, then you put off. You see how I made that change there? It's a little warm up here. Um, but you're, you're, you're putting off. So I don't... I no longer have this old self on. I, I put it off and a new man was, was put on. So he's driving home this point. The timing, by the way, of the putting off was when? It's at salvation. The old man was put off at salvation. And, he, and he's showing them this, that when you, your old self with his practices, it's I think even clearer in Ephesians 4, 20 to 22. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught um, in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitfulness. This word put off, this isn't, it's not an imperative. He's not telling us to put off. Actually, it's in a tense, and the aorist tense is speaking of an event in the past. And he's connecting it to the past. And one, one guy I read said it's exegetical, which is a fancy word of just saying it's explanatory. He's explaining in verse 22, the putting off, it's explaining back to the, to the verb learn. When you learned of Christ, when you came to Christ, that's when you put off. So it's explaining more what happened in the learning. When I learned of Christ, when I came to Christ, that's when the old self was put off. So it's, it's, it's awesome identity in getting what God has done for us. The old man, the old self, enslaved soul was cooperating with the desires of the body of sin, desires of, of the flesh and mind. Um, but the old man was permanently put off at salvation. I'm dead to the reign of sin in my life. It means now, and we'll look at this in a moment, it means I can be victorious over sin now. Whereas prior to the old man camping in me, I could not be victorious over sin. Impossible. I just couldn't be because it consumed me, it defined me, it was everything. It's been a lot in the news with the royal family um, the last couple of months. The royal family has some, some strict guidelines as to how they're to function because of who they are, because of their identity, um, because they're royal. They live a certain way. Um, here are a couple things. When they travel abroad, they always have to pack black. Pack black. Well, why? Because when they return to English soil, they can't be seen in anything other than black. If a family member has died and there is a funeral they're coming back for, they have to be in black immediately. So they have to be prepared. Um, secondly, um, just in protocol, when ladies sit, they're to cross their legs a certain way. They're not to show too much skin. Um, Thanks the Lord for such fine, fine rules like that, right? Um, the royals are to, 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 to sit modestly. Um, they're to learn how to hold a teacup. I would so mess this up. Thumb and index finger grasping the handle of the top. Another, because they're royal, because of who they are, they cannot have physical contact with the public. So if you see them in pictures and public is grasping, they'll just smile and keep walking. They're not going to be like, Football players are high-fiving or hugging the crowd. Um, they're going to keep their distance. You never see them signing autographs because of who they are. Well, because of who we are, because of what God has done, because of our identity, that the old man has been killed, we're to live a certain way. And that's what Paul gets to in the second half of Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Um, I want to see two results of the old man's crucifixion. Because we were crucified with Christ, 
because the old man is crucified, there are really two main results that should happen. And really, it's the whole subject of sanctification being set apart, how I can grow in my Christ-likeness because of what God has done. This is how I can live a more sanctified and victorious life. First of all, or put differently, um, as I said before, our identity should impact our activity. So we're looking at first what he says, the body of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Um, or you look in the ESV in order that, translating a, a, a Greek word that gives a purpose clause in order that. Here's the purpose, okay? This happened over here. The, the, the old man was killed, was crucified, was taken away so that this over here can happen. And he's going to talk about the body of sin. Remember when I first was introduced as this whole idea. I can remember raising my hand in seminary and saying, so really, Dr. Myron, what you're saying is, is the flesh, um, we still have the flesh, and it sounds like the flesh and the old man is really just the same thing as semantics. And, and he, in a little bit of excitement, said, not, not at all. And I now get it, what he was saying, because over here, this, this, the power plug was plugged into evil, our corrupt nature. We, we, we couldn't say no. But over here now, I still live in this body of sin in the flesh. And if I choose to sin, I'm choosing to plug it in, so to speak. I'm, I'm choosing to put the plower in and ignore the new nature. Okay, but repentance, the word of God, prayer, obedience. I unplug and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to live a changed life. But before, I couldn't stop it from being plugged in, um, if, if that helps any. But let's look at what the body is. What is the body when he... When he writes the word body, um, he says um, in verse 6 that the old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Um, I just want to say, you know, thank you to, to Pastor Walker helping me understand this past week the word body. He spent about five minutes explaining to me what the body is. You know what the body means? It means body. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just kidding. He didn't take five minutes. Uh, only four. Um, but that's what he's saying, that the body is in. He's referring to the body. Um, and I think in verse 12, he'll talk a little bit later, and he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. In chapter 6, verse 19, he says, the members, the word members is really speaking of the, of the body. So he's looking at your, your body, your, your parts, your ears, your mouth, your eyes, your feet, your mind, and, he, and he's, giving, he's giving this instruction, don't let the body, you know, let the body of sin be, be, be rendered inoperative or be destroyed. So this happened over here. You became this new man in Christ. The old man was killed. That power that consumed you, that defined you, that you couldn't say no to, is done away with. And the purpose is here that the body of sin might be destroyed. Sin still remains in, in the body. I'm not saying that we'll never have sin. I'm not saying that sin is gone. What I am saying, the old man is gone. That identity, that corrupt nature that consumed us is gone. That we can now live a life not enslaved to sin, not dominated to sin. I'm not saying here, nor is Paul, I believe, that the body is essentially evil. Um, that sin resides in the body like it's an evil thing. No, he's just defining it as, as the flesh. Um, we could be victorious over it. It's like Romans 8.28 when Paul says that the, we're waiting for the adoption as sons, the redemption of the bodies. Um, we're battling our fleshly carnal desires. We're battling um, um, the, the, the flesh and sinful evil flowing through us and how we want to immediately respond. But one day that will be redeemed. You know, we, we, we live in the still frail part of human existence seeking to, to really indulge its desires in those things that are pleasurable, those things that are easy, those things that are gratifying outside of Christ. That's the body that's talked about here. But he says that our body, um, that the old man was killed so that the body of sin might be rendered inoperative. And it's the way it's put, okay? It, the word destroyed means not to be annihilated, 
but to be rendered inoperative is like tying up the strong man and setting him out over here and able then to live a life without the strong, evil strong man influencing us. But then when we start to think, think certain ways, we're untying the man, so to speak. I don't know if that's too good of an illustration, but, but the idea is, is to be rendered inoperative. It doesn't have strong. We're not feeding it. It's, it's weak. It's impotent. And that's what Paul said. This happened. The old man was killed so that we can have the body of sin would be destroyed, but be rendered inoperative. Paul moves on. He says that decisions, or let me say first, decisions that we make as Christians, we open the door to sin. Um, we don't have to, right? Do, do you agree on that? Because of second, even Second Peter 1, we're partakers of the divine nature, the new man, the new creation, what God has done, the old man's gone with, that when we sin, it's not part of our essence. Nature really defines what makes you up. What is your essence? We're a new creature in Christ. That's who we are in our identity. We can say no to sin. I'm not just saying, oh, saying no sin, but I mean, as we work through and the word of God and prayer and application and applying the spirit of God residing with us, with us, we can be victorious. We can become that warrior, soldier, leader that God means for us to be. We don't have to live lives that are defeated. Secondly, with, with our time here, um, Paul says, no longer to be enslaved to sin. Um, the object of salvation is to get us to, can I, can I say, our pre-fall condition, to live victoriously, to become more and more like Christ, who is a perfect Adam, as we submit more and more to him and, and less and less to the flesh, less and less, and we can because the old man has been killed and who we are, our identity in, in Christ. So Paul writes at the end of verse 6 as a second purpose of, of the old man being killed so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, um, no longer to be slaves to it where we're shackled and where we were before we're tied. We had no way to say no. And the reality was is we were enjoying what we were doing. We were, yes, enemies of God. Yes, we're members of Satan's family prior to trusting in Christ. But we enjoyed that lifestyle, not understanding the servitude that we had. But now Christ came and he set us free. Business of redemption is to deliver us from sin. And God started that off by crushing, annihilating the old man. It's gone. And now, as we live a life of faith and dependence upon God, we can be victorious over sin. Let me make it clear. It's, that, it's only the one that's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior that has the new man and the old man is gone. Unless we've genuinely done that, that old man still resides and there is no new man. But when we put our faith and trust in Christ, and it's not just mere words, you know, words anybody could pray, oh yeah, you know, forgive me my sin and accept Christ. But it's genuine repentance and understanding that and putting our trust in Christ that the old man is then killed. And then he's, these two results are to happen. Body of sin is rendered inoperative. And then secondly, he says that we would not be enslaved, that we would not be a, a slave to it, that we could be set free. Verses 17 and 19, I have not done justice to, to Romans chapter 6, but awesome verses. Let me just reference or read them. Um, verses 17 and 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to once you were committed and have been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. He's, he's not saying that you, don't know, you no longer sin. We, we see that in Romans 12. He's giving all these instructions through 16. You gotta live this way. But they've been free from the domination, from the empowerment of sin. Then he says, I am speaking, verse 19, in human terms because of your natural limitation. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present, do it, Make it a one time in the air as past tense. Uh, members of slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So just once where I lived this way, now I am to live this way. He can never give that instruction if it weren't possible. And it's only possible because the old man has been killed. Chuck Swindoll 
in the book Improving Your Serve had this illustration. Think of yourself as living in an apartment house. You live there under a landlord who's made your life miserable. He charges you exorbitant rent. When you can't pay, he loans you money at a fearful rate of interest to get you further into his debt. He barges into your apartment at all hours of the day and night, wrecks and dirties up the place, then charges you extra for not maintaining the premises. Your life is miserable. Then comes someone who says, I've taken over this apartment house. I purchased it. You can live here as long as you, as you please, free. The rent is paid up. I'm going to be living here with you in the manager's apartment, and I will help clean up this place. I mean, what a joy. You know, you're, you're now saved. You're delivered from that nasty old landlord. But what happens? You hardly have time to rejoice in your newfound freedom when a knock comes at the door. It's the old landlord, mean and demanding as ever. He said he's come to, to collect the rent. What do you do? Do you pay him? Of course not. Do you go out and pop him on the nose? No, he's bigger than you are. You boldly tell him, you have to take that up with the new landlord. He might billow, threaten, scream. You just quietly tell him, take it up with the new landlord. If he comes back a dozen times with all sorts of threats to you, um, you just keep saying, take it up with the, with the new landlord. In the end, he knows it. He just hopes that he can bluff and threaten and deceive you into doubting that the new landlord is really going to take care, take care of things. That's what we look at. We have a new landlord, and he's going to take care of things. He's there with us. He's going to, to, to direct us in how we were to live. The child of God now belongs, the one that's put their faith and trust in Christ, the child of God, belongs to Christ. The old man has been destroyed. Before Christ, I couldn't help to sin. After Christ, I've chosen to sin. You see the difference? After Christ, I can choose not to sin. Who you are in Christ, finish it, Pastor, <laughs> must shape what you do for Christ. Who you are in Christ, it has to shape what I do. My identity must connect to my activity. So how do we? How do we live victoriously? How are we to live a life of, of the old man being crucified? Through the word, yes, through the word, through prayer, through obedience. You know, we harp on these disciplines not just because we have nothing else to say, but it really makes a difference. As God has emboldened us, as God has empowered us to live victoriously, but I need to get into the word. I need to get into his, his word and hear his instruction. I need to apply it through prayer in my life as the Holy Spirit works and, and challenges and brings to mind things that I've done, done that I need to change. And then we go out and live that life in obedience to him. And then we talk about, about small groups. We talk about D groups. It's not just because it's a fad. Um, it's to define our lives. We want to come together in community. And we want to, to be there and build friendships and bridges where we have care and we're, we're ministering to one another or we share and we're praying for each other and even to be bold enough to come up and say, this needs to change in your life, brother. I love you. Um, in D groups as we come together in accountability and be on mission for God and being, trying to follow Jesus to, to, to be on Jesus' mission. It's who we want to be. Let me close in reading a story. What's a transformed life look like? Um, how does one live? What's, what, what are some of the activities? Um, this past Wednesday, um, I gave a 10-minute report on the life of John Patton. And I just want to continue that We were for a moment. At the, on the island of Anawa, many have come to, um, after the well incident, remember? He dug the well, and they were shocked to see rain come up from the ground, and how the whole nation, the island turned to Christ literally. I mean, he was genuine. I want to read you what happened afterwards. I didn't have time to continue this. Um, after, this is back in John Patton in the 1860s, um, 1840s, 50s through late 1880s, was a missionary in Anawa near Australia. Um, God used him, incredible cannibals, 
that dwelt on this island. Um, the whole book is continually his life is threatened, how he persevered for God, how when they're surrounding him, about to kill him, he would just run and, run and just cling to one of the natives and say, if you, you kill me, know that you're killing somebody that loves you and cares for you. And just how the power of God led him in direction, really incredible story. Well, after they dug this well, they all were so shocked on that God provided water. Listen to, to what happened. This is one of the chiefs speaking. So I, your chief, now firmly believe that when I die, when the bits of coral and the heaps of dust are removed, which now blind my old eyes, I shall then see the invisible Jehovah God with my soul, as Missy, M-I-S-S-I, is what they call John Patton, tells me, not less surely than I have seen the rain from the earth below. From this day, my people, I must worship the God who has opened for us the well and who fills us with rain from below. The gods of Anawa cannot hear. They cannot help us like the God of Missy. Henceforth, I am a follower of Jehovah God. Let every man that thinks with me go now and fetch the idols of Anawa, the gods which our fathers feared, and cast them down at Missy's feet. Let us burn and bury and destroy these things of wood and stone, and let us be taught by the Missy how to serve the God who can hear, the Jehovah who gave us the well and who gives us every other blessing. For he sent his son Jesus to die for us and bring us to heaven. This is what the Missy has been telling us every day since he landed on Anawa. We laughed at him, but now we believe him. The Jehovah God has sent us rain from the earth. Why should he not also send us his son from heaven? Now Maki stands up for Jehovah. Last paragraph. The first traces, as he now wrote, of as this whole island, I mean, just like regeneration that no one has, few people have seen, um, turning to Christ. Afterwards, he writes, the first traces of a new social order began to rise visibly on the delighted eye. The whole inhabitants, young and old, now attended school. Three generations sometimes at the one copy. Thefts. Quarrels, crimes, etc., were settled now, not by club law, but by fines or bonds or lash as agreed upon by the chiefs and their people. Everything was rapidly and surely becoming new under the influence of the leaven of Jesus. Industry increased, Hudson plantations were safe. Firmly, every man in traveling carried with him all of his valuables. Now they were secured, left at home. And he would talk about how they would bring pigs to the church meeting, to the meeting places, and they would squeal. But now they learned to trust because there's radical regeneration happening through the island. They would leave all of their valuables home. And he goes on to talk about the all 12,000 were reached for Christ on that island. Um, just a radical transformation, how missionaries were planted on other islands, how the natives learned and grew and went to other islands, becoming missionaries, reaching them for Christ. Tremendous movement. But that's all because the new man took over the old man and they lived out over the body of sin that is destroyed. They were no longer enslaved to sin. And it's transformation through obedience, through the word of God and through prayer. And it is no different in 2022 here in Hamilton, New Jersey. Let's close in prayer. God, may we never, never get over amazing grace. The stories of John Newton are no less radical than the story of a five-year-old coming to trust in Christ here in New Jersey. The story of these natives in Anawa are no more moving than a grandchild that accepts their Christ is their Savior. God, because it's all about amazing grace, it's all about radical transformation that, that you take away the old man, you, it's killed, and how life begins to pursue and, and hunger after you. God, may that define us this week. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Lord bless, have a great week.